Steve has a, has a long history in New Frontiers, but most lately from Chichester, where he saw them multiply very effectively. And he's recently, him and his wife Joe, who's here, have moved to Welcome Church Woking, that used to be the coin. And uh, he's also part of Guy's apostolic team, Guy's as the leader of Commission, the family of churches that we belong to. So it's a great honor to have him here and give over the platform to him. So I'd like you to give him a great big Hope Central welcome. Well, hello. hello. It's so nice to see you all. Um, as uh, Jonathan said, I'm Steve. Good to be here. I've brought my wife Jo with me today. Um, yep, yeah, I've been at Welcome Church, formerly The Coin, for 18 months, and can I tell you, this is the first Sunday that I've been away preaching anywhere else since I started there. I've said no to everybody else, but I thought this was too important to miss, and what a joy to be with you again. <laughs> first day of multi-site, it's an exciting adventure. We, we did that, as Jonathan said, back at Grace Church, and uh, they've got four sites going now, which is really good. It's a good thing to do. It, it's hard work. You might miss some people. You, you might find you miss some people because you don't see them as much. And, and it takes lots of effort to do everything twice. Kids work, worship, all of that, doubling everything. But, uh, and, and results might not be instant either. Uh, but you will see it over time. You will see it. And it's a real joy to see what God does. But you're enlarging your footprint and you're enlarging your reach. So it's all about mission. And, and you're making room for people both here and there, making room for people to belong. And that's what I'm going to be talking about this morning. So you're starting a new preaching series over this season. I kind of got the first week of that, and it's called Everyone's Invited. How about that? Everyone's Invited, Exploring the Heart of God. And so I thought today I would talk about making room for people to belong, because I think that's something that's in the heart of God for us as well. So we're going to start with a Bible passage. It's going to appear on the screen. It's Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 to 28. In my Bible, it's titled, The Faith of a Canaanite Woman. Ah, my, my click. Here we go. Look. I shall do me, I'll do my own clicking. All right, we're good here. Matthew 15, verse 21 to 28. The Faith of a Canaanite Woman. It says this. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Now let me ask you a question. Can you think of a time or a place where you felt like you didn't belong? You know, it's not that tricky, is it? You probably think of quite a few quite quickly. I mean, the one that came to mind most quickly for me was back at infant school, when I first started infant school, and it was football in the playground, and I can remember 
starting to join in with the football when this guy, a bit of a bully, comes over and says, Stephen can't play. That's terrible. I remember feeling quite distraught by that, and off I went sad on my own, and... uh, Oh, it was hard because I was a little bit late joining and friendship groups in that school had already begun and took a while to feel like I fitted in. I used to take to school with my, my sooty and sweep glove puppets and uh, so I had someone to talk to in the playground. <laughs> uh, it's all right, don't worry, I'm not scarred. Shortly after that, I met Carl and Brian and we became mates for many, many years, so I'm not scarred. But I still remember that sense of not quite fitting. And maybe you've had moments like that in life as well. And the woman in our passage today, she didn't fit. She didn't belong. She was an outsider, a Canaanite, coming to Jesus, this Jewish rabbi with his Jewish disciples. And she didn't fit. And they tried to exclude her. And you know, it's part of human nature to belong. All of us, we want to fit in. Society is made up of people who connect, who fit with one another. That's what makes up society, the sense that we belong to one another, the sense of a common identity. So we can say this then, that the desire to belong is hardwired into us. It's God-given. Now, when we don't feel we fit somewhere, what an awkward place to be that is. So maybe you head off to university, right? Some of you here will be students. Those first few weeks, those first couple of months really at university, it's not really about what you learn. It's about who you get to know and the connections that you make. That's how it, how it begins. And hey, if you're a student and you're just looking in, church is a key part of that. It's good to be part of church family while you're away from home. But who you get to know matters. And the students that make good connections and friendships will do better at university than the ones that don't, statistically. That's just a statistical fact. Love a good bit of statistics for you. Belonging matters. Or maybe you go to a special event. You ever felt this? It's a party. It's a wedding. It's a graduation. Or worst of all, the work social, where the dress code is smart casual. I mean, what does that even mean? And and so you spend ages trying to work out, what am I going to wear? Because if you get it wrong, you're going to feel uncomfortable. You don't quite fit in. And not fitting in, not belonging, it's not good for us. We need to belong. It's important for our health, physical and mental, to belong. That's why solitary confinement is used as a punishment. I mean, children, you know, little children, you can punish them by making them go and, I don't know, sit separate from the others. This is one of our kids when they were naughty. The best punishment for this particular child was to sit them in the porch for a few minutes. That's what worked more than any other form of punishment. When, when they became a teenager, taking the mobile phone away for, you know, uh, half an hour, a day, a couple of days, whatever. But that sense of being disconnected was really what, what worked. We need to belong. The desire to belong, of course, is biblical. Because when God created human beings... First he made Adam, who was the perfect example of humanity. Adam was healthy. He was sinless. He had unbroken fellowship with God. And then God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Genesis 2.18. Which led to the creation of woman. Eve. Absolutely, Eve. Now, I think it's worth noting that that happened while there was no sin in the world at all. While Adam was in his unfallen state, while he was not lacking anything in relationship with God, the world was perfect and sinless. Adam had... Oh, hello. 
We've got a bit of a song going on. Okay, I'm going to join it. Adam was in his, his unbroken state of perfect relationship with God when God said it's not good for man to be alone. Listen, God's looking to have a relationship with every single one of us. And if you don't have a relationship with God, there'll always be something missing in your life. But, but having a good relationship with God doesn't take away the need for human relationships. Does that make sense? We need belonging. We need a community to be part of. And the desire to belong, in some recent surveys done in the UK, asking about the challenges that people face. The biggest issue that was identified was loneliness. It topped everything else. There's even a government minister now, Tracy, Tracy Crouch, who is actually responsible for leading government initiatives to deal with loneliness. I think that's really interesting at that level. So what's God's cure for loneliness? Well, Psalm 68 verse 6 says this, says God sets the lonely in families. So family is really, really important. Your family life is important. But hey, you might not have much family. You might be on your own. But even if you're not, we need to understand that part of God's plan for this is his church. Because the church is God's family. We're God's household where God dwells by his spirit. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus is our brother. God is our father. We're God's family, a community where all people, including lonely people, can find a place to belong and to connect. So loneliness is a huge issue in our culture, the number one that came up and the government's trying to tackle it. The church is God's family, his solution for for loneliness, where, where the lonely he sets in families. So So God's not lacking in his desire to reach people. Why aren't lonely people flocking to our churches? Why, when this is the case, are our doors not being beaten down by lonely people? Loneliness, the biggest issue in society, the number one that that came out in all the services, biggest need. The church, God's family, the solution. Why aren't they beating down our doors? Could it be... Because most people don't think of the church as a place where they could belong. Could it be that people think they will feel excluded and judged? Just like the woman from the passage that we read today. You see, there's a challenge here for all of us, and the challenge comes because of sin, okay? Because of sin. I I don't mean sin in the lives of people around us who might want to belong. I don't mean that at all. I mean sin in our attitudes in the church. You see, human nature, we don't just want people, we, we don't just want to belong. We don't just want to belong to any group. We want to belong to an exclusive group. I want to belong to a group that you don't belong to. Fallen human nature loves to be in and is quite happy if somebody else is out. I mean, every society has people who feel left out, people who don't get chosen, people who get the cold shoulder, who get blackballed, who get voted off the island, whatever you want to call it, people who get excluded. And you can see it when you get on a plane, okay? You get seated in your seat, and the plane takes off, and then what happens? The curtain comes down. The curtain comes down to divide between those in economy and those in business. Sorry, sorry. You can't use those toilets. You can't go that way. You can't have that food, is what I said to myself as I lay back in my business class seat, (laughs) sipping champagne. (laughs) And someone dared to poke their head around the curtain. 
But I was only in a business class seat because, for some reason, I got a free upgrade. Very, very nice. Got a free upgrade. And really, I was meant to be behind that curtain in cattle class along with everybody else. But suddenly, I'd got the free upgrade. So now there's this part of me that's starting to get annoyed that someone else is daring to look in. Because I want to belong to the exclusive group. Because it's our fallen human nature. And it marks us out as distant from the heart of God. If we want to discover the heart of God, this marks us out as distant from it. And we see the damage caused by this fallen part of our human nature in things like racism, sexism, ageism, discrimination of all sorts, even in its extreme form, ethnic cleansing. And we see it in our desire to be part of the inner circle. Now, of course, this happened amongst Jesus' disciples, right? We can see it in the Bible. They did this. Two of them, James and John, approached Jesus and they said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus said, What what do you want me to do for you? Like he didn't already know. And they replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. It's Mark 10. James and John, chosen from all Israel to be amongst Jesus' 12 disciples. And from that group of 12, James, John, and Peter, they formed the inner three, special times alone with Jesus. And now look at James and John, brothers, they're trying, we can get Peter out. We can have just the two of us and Jesus, wouldn't that be special? And Jesus didn't agree to their request. The story goes on. When the other ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And then Jesus has to intervene in the situation. It happened in Jesus' disciples. I don't know if you find that a bit incredible. I find it less incredible when I remember also that it can happen in church today as well. People pushing for position, getting upset when somebody else gets ahead of them, getting angry if they feel they've been overlooked. It's the desire to be in the inner ring. Meanwhile, others feel a bit lonely and a bit left out and to the side. New people perhaps don't get as warmly welcomed as they should be because after all, well, I've already got my friendship group. I don't need anybody else, do I? I know the people. I've got my friends in church. I've been friends with them for 10 years, 20 years. Why on earth would I bother making friends with those new people? What's the point? I've already got my friends because I'm in the inner ring and I don't need to expand it. Why? When we all feel the need to belong, do we sometimes reject others? And perhaps we hear it in church in phrases like these. I'm sure you've never said any of these. I I want to go to a small church where I know everybody. Subtext. As long as I'm okay, the rest of the world can go to hell. How about another one? How about this one? Why are we always talking about growth and outreach? (laughs) Subtext. The main focus should be on me and how I am. Never said these things, have you? How about this one? I don't really know any non-Christians. So it's been inviting people. Invite someone to Alpha, invite them to a event. I don't really know any non-Christians. Subtext. I've got all the friends I need in life. Why would I possibly waste my time getting to know those terrible, awful, sinful people out there? I'm just fine in here. Thank you. How are we doing? (laughs) We want to belong, but I want to be exclusive. 
keep my church small, keep my friends close, don't worry about growth and outreach, don't need to know any non-Christians. How do any of these attitudes fit with the desire to reach the world with the good news of Jesus? How does any of that fit with the desire to see thousands and thousands of lost people in Winchester swept into the kingdom of God? Hope Church, you've got a big change on your hands today. You've made room for more people to belong. This multi-site thing is massive. Well done. And if it's going to be effective, your heart attitudes and your church culture also needs to be right. Do you see that? This has to be right if it's going to work. So it's good to be self-assessing because I'm sad to say this, but it is far too easy to create a church culture that's only accessible to people who are already Christians. It's so easy. It is just so easy to create a culture that excludes the very people who Jesus wants us to reach from this town because their lifestyle does not yet match up to what we would expect of a Christian. So we kind of hold them a little bit at arm's length. And it's so easy to think, oh, my church is growing well. We've grown. And really what we've seen is that we're gathering more Christians who believed in Jesus before they came to us in the first place. And it's great that they're here. It's not bad to gather more Christians. But it isn't kingdom growth, and it doesn't advance the Great Commission. We all have a God-given desire to belong. We all do. There's no room for division or racism in God's church. But also, there's no room for what I would call cynism either. Cynism. You can't come because you're too sinful. I don't agree with your race. I don't like your age. I don't like your color. All of these sorts of things. We we could have names for those. Racism, ageism, sexism. I think we can sometimes have to be a little bit careful about cynism. Because non-Christians, when they come to us, people who don't know Jesus yet, guess what? They're not going to be living a life that we'd expect. They're just not. And if we're expecting them to sort those things out first, we're going to be waiting a long time. Oh, God will reach people. He'll just do it through somebody else. We've got to be ready in terms of our culture to welcome the lost. Why, Why is it that in the UK today... People are often really positive about Jesus and hugely negative about Christians and the church. How can that be? How can it be when we're supposed to be like Christ that people can... I love the idea of Jesus. Church, Christians. Oh, give me a break. Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners. I think he'd have said, yes, I am. By the way, in response to that accusation, he was accused of being a friend of sinners. He never once compromised his holiness, not once ever, but he often got in trouble with religious people for spending time with sinners, for befriending and welcoming prostitutes and tax collectors, for talking to women. So my question for you is this, when did you last get in trouble for being too kind and too friendly and too welcoming to someone who's obviously sinful? When did that last happen to you? After all, if we're meant to be increasingly like Jesus, shouldn't we expect to get in trouble for some of the same things he got in trouble for? And Jesus didn't get in trouble for being too holy, as they saw it. He got in trouble for welcoming and befriending lost, sinful people. Why does your master eat with sinners and tax collectors, said the religious. So let's reflect for a moment. I wonder, are there people 
but you have not treated as you should have done. Are there people who you should have befriended, but you haven't actively made time for? Are there any types of people who, if you were really honest, you would rather didn't come through the door? Because that's going to be difficult and awkward trying to deal with that. That's just be much easier if that didn't happen. Are there people like that? Why don't you ask God to speak to you? Ask him to bring to mind people and situations and individuals and types of people who actually you've got an ism about. Are there situations you need to repent for? Hey, are there people you need to apologize to? And if so, will you do it? Can we just pause for a moment? I'm going to pray. Then we're going to go back to the Bible passage. Let's just pause for a moment. Why don't you just where you are? Come before God for a moment. Father, we know your heart is to reach lost people. We know that your desire is to win people of all sorts. Father, we recognize it's not enough to just touch the middle classes of Winchester. Lord, we want our church to represent this town in all its fullness. So Lord, I pray you would draw people of all sorts to us as a church. Lord, I I want to pray now that you'd speak to people in this congregation, Lord, if there are isms they carry in their heart. Lord, if there are people actually where they haven't treated them as Jesus would have done, where perhaps they've not helped people come to find Jesus. Speak, Lord, I pray just right now, Lord, around the room, would you just drop names, faces, groups of people into mind? Lord, we're sorry if we've missed it. Help us go again, Lord. Help us go again. Lord Jesus, we want to be like you. So Lord, we pray for the days when we get in trouble for the things you got in trouble for. Amen. Let's uh, look at our passage again. Matthew 15. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman, a Canaanite woman, they're the ones that are supposed to not be in Israel anymore. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. Note that. His disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He even replied this. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Oh, yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Now, at first glance, that passage appears to make Jesus look unkind and exclusive, right? But actually... What Jesus is doing here is is actually teaching and testing his disciples. He's teaching them about his call to reach lost, broken people of all types. We have to understand what's going on in this passage here. Jesus is setting tests for his disciples and tests for this woman. The woman passed, the disciples failed. See, the story took place in an area to the northwest of Israel. And Jesus went there to avoid the crowds. People sometimes say, oh, Jesus, you know, only ever ministered in Israel. That simply isn't true if you read the Bible. 
For a start, he's up here in Tyre and Sidon. This is, this is in a di- he's gone to another country. He's left Israel. He's gone to a completely different country where Canaanite people lived. And he went there to avoid the crowds surrounding him and the hostility he's facing from the religious leaders of the Jews. And the residents of Tyre and Sidon were utterly despised by the Jews. One contemporary historian from the time, a man called Josephus, wrote this. He said, the people of Tyre are our bitterest enemies. That's, that's how they were viewed. And Jesus went there. They would have seen this woman as spiritually unclean, immoral, an idolater, and outside of the love of God. That's how she would have been viewed by Jesus' disciples. And then we find out that her daughter, her little girl, has some serious issues. And so she comes to Jesus begging for help. It's humble. It's respectful. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on my little girl. She's a desperate mother. Her little girl is suffering terribly. So she crosses religious boundaries ethnic boundaries and actually also gender boundaries to get to Jesus who should never you know rabbis didn't speak to women Jesus broke that all the time you read read the gospels so why did Jesus stay silent she's on her knees in humility before him and he says nothing to her he appears completely indifferent and Matthew doesn't hide the fact he draws attention to it and the woman could have walked away but she's persistent see she passed the test she didn't give up what about the disciples though The disciples, well, they wouldn't have been surprised at Jesus' silence. It would have been normal behavior for this rabbi not to speak to her. But what will the disciples do? It's a test for them. What are they going to do? And eventually, they come to Jesus and say, send her away. She's bothering us. Which is really arrogant. Because she wasn't there for them at all. She wanted attention from Jesus. But they're the inner ring. And it's bothering us that this woman is trying to muscle in on our alone time with Jesus. Jesus is with us, not this filthy pagan. They wanted to pull the curtain across. We're in business. Get back to economy, woman. Get back behind the curtain. Test one failed. Disciples, zero. And then Jesus spoke. And the first time he speaks, he doesn't speak to the woman. He speaks to the disciples. They say, send her away. Jesus says, well, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Can, can you see that? That's a test. If you think that's Jesus describing his mission, you've misunderstood the Bible. Jesus wasn't only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Just a little bit before in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 8, 11, he already told them, people from the east and the west will come and take their seats in the kingdom. East, people from the east and west, Gentiles, that's what he's talking about. He's already told them that Gentiles will be coming into the kingdom of God. He's described it to them. The disciples didn't hear it. So when Jesus says this, he's not stating his true mission. He's expressing what's in their hearts, not what's in his heart. Send her away. Well, yes, but I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel, right? Despite the fact that I've already told you that's not true several times. And I reckon Jesus must have been itching for the disciples to speak up, to disagree, to say, but you told us. You told us it was all nations. You told us that, Jesus. But none of them did. And so now, turning to the woman, Jesus gives the disciples a third opportunity to speak up for her. A third chance to intercede on behalf of this woman. She's desperate. She's begging. Jesus is silent. The disciples say nothing. First test failed. They try to get rid of her. Fail. Then Jesus voices their misunderstanding of his mission. I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. They don't speak up. He knows that's not true. He's told them that's not true already. They miss it. And then he voices their thoughts once more. As he says this, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. That sounds harsh, but what Jesus is doing is taking their thoughts and putting them into words. 
That's what they were thinking. You see, it's one thing for you to have contempt for another person behind their back. It's a whole other thing for your inner thoughts to be taken and expressed outwardly so that they can hear it. The ugliness of the thoughts and the heart is exposed. Because this is exactly what they were thinking. Would any of them intervene? Would any of them show God's love to her? Would any one of the disciples speak up for this woman in this situation? No. None of them. Not one. And I just imagine that Jesus probably found that a quite heartbreaking moment. See, they didn't get his mission. They still didn't understand what Jesus was there to do. But a seed had been sown. Later on, there will be other tests. Later on, these disciples will do much better. In fact, later on, these guys are going to take the message of Jesus to all nations. They are going to care for the poor. They are going to pray for the sick. They are even going to lay down their lives for women. Exactly like this one. But not yet. They haven't got it yet. We're in. She's out. We belong. She doesn't belong. We're holy. She's sinful. We're the chosen ones. She's not the chosen one. Get this filthy dog of a woman out of here, Jesus, so we can carry on our exclusive club of holiness and not have sin in the camp. That's what's going on in their hearts, and Jesus expresses it. How often has the church been guilty of the same attitude? The desire to belong is God-given, but the desire to exclude in our belonging is fallen and sinful. So what about us? Because Jesus tests us too. I hope you're doing well on the tests. Is it just possible that God is actually better than your theology? Is it possible that God is more loving, more gracious, and more kind than your theology? That the fruit of the Spirit is kindness and gentleness. See, the church is called to create an amazing community of belonging. Knowing that we ourselves are simply forgiven sinners, we should surely be the single most accepting community on this planet. Surely the church should be the most welcoming, the most open, the most accepting, the most forgiving place where lost, damaged, broken people will find love and not exclusion, where they can find help and over time be introduced to the Savior who has welcomed us. Surely? But this is the very thing the disciples missed that day. How is she ever going to find her way to Jesus if she's not allowed to come among them just as she is with all her problems and sins and challenges? And man, she had some. After all, her little daughter is demon-possessed. I mean, how does that happen in a family? How did it happen? But the disciples saw her as worse than themselves, as beneath them, and they wanted her gone. You know, back at Welcome Church, we have started using this phrase, come as you are. It's not without its challenges. Actually, of course... You can't come to Jesus any other way. It's just worth noting that. You can't come any other way. Our job isn't to hose people down with religious rules, clean them up somehow and think, oh, once you get to this point, you'll be acceptable to God and then you can be part of us. That's not the gospel. You can't make someone else acceptable to God by giving them external rules. You can't make someone else acceptable to God. You can't even make yourself acceptable to God. Only Jesus did that, right? So we, we take people just as they are. And we're working hard in a Welcome Church to create a culture of welcome, invitation, acceptance, belonging, grace and love. In short, the culture Jesus modeled for us. And once or twice now, we began to get in a little bit of trouble with religious people. 
I think, it's a good sign. But we're seeing more people saved than the church has seen in years. We're baptizing 14 of them this evening. And every, seriously. And there's about another 10 or 11 that are thinking about it. And every single one of them we know and they already feel like they belong to the church. It's very different to what we were doing before. But there's this faith element to this as well, because if we're going to say come as you are, we need a really serious faith element that God's at work, a confidence that he's at work. We have to have a faith that lets us live with being a little bit uncomfortable along the way and a bit messy because we know that God's at work. So I can say come as you are because in my mind I know (laughs) when you meet Jesus, you won't stay as you are because no one does. You encounter Jesus, oh, you change. So what about yourselves? Have you got faith that Jesus can reach all sorts of people through you in this church? Have you got faith that Jesus, through you, in your new multi-sites, will help you connect with more and more lost people in Winchester in all their messy, broken sinfulness? Or, 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 all right, are you only going to reach out to the nice people? Middle class, nice job, BMW on the driveway, Husband and wife, couple of nice, 2.4 kids or 1.9 or whatever it is these days. That's, that's all right. We'll go for them and we'll leave the rest to some other churches to deal with. It doesn't, no, no, come on. We need to represent the towns we're in, don't we? Don't we? We need, we need everybody. Can you be comfortable with mess? Will you pass the test? Jesus has open arms for lost, sinful, broken people. Not one person in this town, not one is beyond Jesus' reach. There isn't one person who Jesus could not save in this town. Disciples failed the test. Oh, later on they went on and they passed it time and time again. And we can pass it too. We can make room for people to belong and for Jesus to work through our church. And just one last thing. The disciples may have failed the test that day, but the woman passed with flying colors. Jesus said to her, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And hearing Jesus' words, which probably shocked her a whole lot less than they would shock us, she wasted no time. She just said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus loved it. It was an answer full of faith and humility, not demanding, not offended. She knew she had no right to Jesus' help. She had no claim against him, but she asked him faith anyway, and he loved it. He said, woman, you've got great faith. Your request is granted. Hear those words, you have great faith. Do you know, in the whole scriptures, Jesus never once said that to any of his disciples. (laughs) But he said it to her. This woman could see past the sinful attitude of the disciples to the person of Jesus. Hey, what about you? If you're, I don't know, maybe if you're not yet a Christian or you're just considering all this, Jesus would invite you to come to him as well, just as you are. Maybe you feel you've been mistreated by church or Christians at some point. Don't let that put you off, Jesus. Don't let it put you off. Maybe you feel God's been silent or distant. Keep seeking him anyway, like this woman did. Will you trust that Jesus is good? Will you come to him and ask him to bring you healing and wholeness as well? We're going to pray. And then I'm going to shoot off to your other site and preach. That's exciting. Get to do it all again. Let's pray. If you're not yet a Christian, do you want to know Jesus? Do you want to know his touch on your life? Why don't you just just pray? Let's stand together, shall we? And a band are coming up. And if you are a Christian, have you got regrets? Are there situations you know you wish you'd handle differently? If so, why don't you bring them to Jesus? Let's pray. Let's just pray. Just bow your heads wherever you are, and we're going to pray. First of all, anyone that's not yet a Christian, I just invite you to pray with me this morning, just to speak to God and ask him, Jesus, would you come into my life and change 
me. You may not know all the answers or understand fully who Jesus is yet. That's right. Father, let's just, pr- let's just pray to Jesus, shall we? If you're not yet a Christian, Lord Jesus, thank you for your love, welcome, and acceptance. We come to you just as we are this morning. Jesus, would you come into my life? Help me know you better and change me, I pray. Amen. And for those that are Christians, let's just pray. Lord, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to belong to your kingdom and to your church. Lord, would you forgive us any time we've had sinful attitudes? Lord, would you bring to mind any people we've mistreated or situations where we haven't stepped out where we should have done? Lord Jesus, would you work in my heart and would you transform my attitudes? Because, Lord, we want your kingdom to come and your will to be done here in Winchester in Hope Church, just as it is in heaven. So let our hearts be right, Lord Jesus, that we would welcome all those you are drawing. Amen. 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 We're going to worship again. I'm going to hand back to Jonathan and Joe. Thank you so much for having me this morning.